Alpaca Pals, we have been nominated for the People's Choice Podcast Awards. If you enjoy this show, please show us the love by going to podcastawards.com and nominating Alpaca My Bags in the categories Society and Culture. It takes just three minutes, and it would mean so much to us if you would go and vote for us. The link to do this is in our bio. In the old days, around the year 2014, a travel influencer was usually a blogger who earned a decent amount of hits on their websites and had some social media followers. But since then, travel influencing has changed a lot. Influencing has expanded to include more platforms like Instagram and now TikTok. And now there are more travel influencers than ever before. Travel influencers today aren't just bloggers. Instead, they need a whole combination of skills. Some influencers stick to the blogging medium, others are just on Instagram, and some are a combination. A Facebook study found that more than half of travel enthusiasts on Instagram use the platform to look for inspiration for new places to travel to. And more than half of users use Instagram to build excitement for new trips. This confirms that a lot of today's travelers are making important travel decisions that have, well, they've been influenced. Iceland is a textbook example of a country that has benefited from social media in growing its tourism industry. In an article from Global News, Gunnar Freyr, who goes by the handle at Icelandic underscore explorer, explains that he has been tracking the Iceland hashtags since it started on Instagram in 2014. And in that time, he says the popularity of the hashtag has grown exponentially from 300,000 posts to over 9 million. The official tourism board for Iceland has corroborated the fact that Iceland became popularized as a tourist destination through social media. So clearly, travel influencing is powerful. While not everyone likes the idea of travel influencers, you'll know from listening in before that I have a few qualms with the industry myself. It's very true that influencers bring new perspectives to destinations. They reach a broad international audience. And they have a lot of talent. Nowadays, travel influencers do more than just writing. They have to be able to take good photos, be able to edit them, know how to build an audience, market their brand, and do technical things like SEO. Today, we're going to chat with the influencers behind Hey, Dip Your Toes In, Yolanda and Omo. These two are a power couple that travels and creates content. They write, they speak at events, and they're also activists. So what goes into their job as travel influencers? And how has their job been impacted by coronavirus? And of course, what do they expect for the future of travel? Welcome, Yolanda and Omo. Thanks so much for having us. Just to dive straight in, Yolanda, can you start by telling us what you did before travel influencing and blogging? You know, it's really interesting, this whole world of travel influencing and blogging, because it was definitely a career that pretty much found me more so than me actually going after it. 
In 2011, I'd moved to the UK to pursue a master's degree. And upon graduation, I could not really find work. And actually, it was during that whole final semester because the program was two years long. And I wanted to go into education again because my background had been in education. I expected to fully go into some type of position teaching for the university. And I was teaching there at the university that I had graduated from but they just didn't have the resources to bring me on full time. So, you know, I just thought, listen, I need to kind of reach into my bag of tricks, if you, for lack of better terms, and go back into freelancing. And so I started doing photography full time, but I wasn't really 100% happy. And I then was like, well, you know what, Let, let's look at maybe doing something together. So Omo and I started the blog. And it was just for, honestly, it was just for fun. Like we looked at it, we saw it as a way to tell stories, um, to, in a sense, get off of Facebook. If I can be completely honest, we wanted a place where these stories and where our recipes and everything could live and not have to necessarily be completely dependent on Facebook. So we started the blog and it just kind of, I don't know, this is a bit of a kind of a domino effect from there because within a year, then we discovered that this actually has legs and can actually walk when we started being approached by brands. So yeah, it's just a bit of a roundabout way of getting into travel influencing and content creation. I can totally identify with that. I also travel blog and it started just because I saw it as a way to document my own travels because sometimes I think, oh, it's so like years down the road, I'll probably forget about this trip or I'll lose track of these images. And if I put it all on a blog, it will always be there for me to go back and look at. Yeah, it's, it's a really great reminder as well. of just kind of your life and your journey. So do you identify yourselves as influencers? If you're at a dinner party, for example, what do you say that your job is? Well, you know, Omo just joined us. And so I'm sure he would love to talk about that. That question is actually one that we have been asked several times over the last year. And each time we've been asked that question, I think our response grows more and more confident that the answer is yes, we are influencers and we are embracing that term. In the past, that term may have been a bit unsavory, but for us, we, we believe that there is a positive way to be influencers that is transparent, um, that builds trust with um, the brands we represent and the communities that we, or the audiences that we have. Um, and to do so while staying true to our own personal creativity and character and all that. So yes, in short, we are influencers and we embrace that. That's awesome. I definitely have noticed the same, that especially when the term started to first be used, I think it was very... Um, People always associated it with like a lifestyle Instagrammer. And now I think that the term is really broadening to include people who are working in other ways, like as bloggers and travel writers and photographers. And I think the term is really expanding to point to how integral really influencers are now, not just to travel, but like in marketing in general. Yeah, I completely agree with that because I find that content creators, bloggers, vloggers, the whole ecosystem of 
those that do create any type of content, whether you term or I guess deem yourself an influencer or not, it's becoming such an integral part of any marketing ecosystem. And I mean, that's why we're seeing such this, you know, this massive push, especially pre-COVID. And I think you just saw this massive jump in the last two years in terms of the spending power, in a sense, of brands when it comes to siphoning off money in their budgets towards content creators. If you were to look at kind of pre-indoctrination, let's say that, let's use that term, because we were seeing brands that just were not educated when it came to influencer marketing and content creators. They really kind of looked at any type of marketing content as, okay, maybe we hire in a freelancer, you know, then we, you know, set up and do Facebook ads or we do AdSense on Google, so on and so forth. But now it's really changed the entire game. And they're looking at, you know, how can I leverage the audience of others? So completely agree with you in terms of, in a sense, the um, veracity of influencer marketing. Yeah, absolutely. So Omo, Yolanda was telling us about how the blog originally started. Could you tell us a bit about what the progression was like over the years, starting in 2015, and how the brand evolved over time? Sure. 2015, when we began, this was primarily a hobby. We didn't really have a clue what we were getting into. We we probably didn't understand the scale of work that it was going to take to get the brand to where it is today. But, you know, like someone said, every great idea starts with passion. And so we had passion and lots of it. I think the wake-up call for us was after being shortlisted and then winning an award in our first year as the best UK blog for food uh, and coming second or runners-up in the travel category in the UK, we thought to ourselves, wait, if in just one year we can gain this kind of recognition for the work we've done, then this is definitely more serious than we first envisaged. Um, and then shortly after the award, obviously, we started getting calls from brands. Um, one of our first big clients was IBM, who reached out at the time to um, seek some work around uh, some platform they were developing for food. And so that was basically how we began to bring some structure into the work that we do, um, putting together proposals, getting smarter at how we pitch for work, how we present ourselves to stakeholders in brands, networking, attending events, um, building a community online. All of that took time, but all of that was very deliberate. We are not mega influencers by any sense of, you know, or, or measure, but we feel that in the last three years in particular, we have built an authentic community. We've delivered some work for a range of brands that has been well, well received by those brands. And we, you know, whether or not COVID has, has changed the game in the travel and, and hospitality industry, we feel that we have a solid foundation to progress with what we're doing either in this industry or in other industries. So that's kind of how we've evolved over the years. Yeah, I like your comment about mega influencers and 
as that relates to authenticity, just because something that I've personally noticed is that influencers that aren't quite as mega, you know, in the like one, two million follower category, they aren't able to individually connect with their community in the same way because it's just on such a large scale. And so sometimes I find that I'm much more attracted to, I think some people call it micro-influencing. So your community isn't like quite that large, but it's still pretty big. But micro-influencers are much more capable of actually responding to a DM or responding to an email. And I think that that is really beneficial to creating a strong and connected community. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, And we've seen the growth of, we have friends who've gone from being nano influencers and moved to micro. And then, I mean, you know, there's so many terms I can't even, sometimes it's hard to keep up (laughs) with all of them. But they also, like you said, they've struggled in that move because of their visibility and virality. Now it is difficult because then they'll have to have a team and they hire people to manage, you know, different platforms. And then it starts to lose that personal essence that, that like wow factor, the the reason why people came to you in the first place. Yeah. It just begins. You have to start putting distance between yourself and your communities. Some have been able to do it and do it really well and others have really struggled. So it's definitely really interesting to, to see that and watch. Yeah. I was hoping you could tell us a bit about the skills that are involved. I think that a lot of people are probably blissfully unaware of how much effort can go into a simple Instagram post or a blog post or a travel guide. So could you tell us a bit about the production value and the quality of your images and what goes into that? Oh, of course. I mean, from production um, value. It, it honestly depends on the type of content that we want to share. So we know that let's take, for instance, if we look at and being employed to work with a brand. So we've signed a contract and even before the contract signed, we're sending over a creative brief, meaning that we've done research on the brand and we've done research on, you know, how can our content, what does our content need to look like to fit the ethos of the brand, even though the content is going to be posted on our channels. And then we have to do the rest of the research in terms of color palettes and we send over a mood board. So we're showing them, okay, these are the different influences, texture, whether it's like any type of auditory sounds, um, colors, environment or environmental influences. And we talk about that. And we also write a description and we talk about exactly what the content is going to look. And then we show them examples. Sometimes those examples are things that we've already created that might have a similar feel. And other times it's influences from other places. So it's a lot of work when it goes into working with a brand. But if it's really for ourselves, we're thinking about it in different ways when we're creating content for ourselves um, that then will go to our audience. We're thinking primarily, how will we be able to repurpose this content at a later date? So a lot of that goes into overshooting. How can we make the most you know, of this particular opportunity? So sometimes we might think, okay, let's say it's London-based content. Well, we're going to this particular area in London. So let's actually like plan it out 
Can we write an article around this? Can we provide some value to our audience about this particular area? Or is it going to take a lot more research on our parts? And still, we might not go through like a full mood board process, but we'll start actually thinking creatively through the idea and thinking of, you know, color schemes. How do we want the color to look? Is it seasonal content in our heads? You know, we'll, we'll do some of this planning and then we'll do the rest through notes and we'll use a couple of different platforms that we can, you know, share ideas with each other with. Now, pre-COVID, we used to be very, very conscious of having a feed that was tonally had a, had a tone, let's say it had a, a tonal aesthetic. Our, our main color inspirations would change and kind of fluctuate while still bringing in our brand colors. But when COVID happened, honestly, everything just changed. And we began to focus on, let's say, content that we really want to create. So that whole color scheme thing, it might come back at some point in time, but we're not really focused on having, you know, a beautiful, you know, flowing type of feed anymore. Um, It's really about the content that will serve our audience the best. And sometimes that's not in curated type of photos. Sometimes it's just video content. Sometimes it's just you know, something very plain and simple. So it definitely has been a change in, in what we're doing in terms of feed. Yeah, to to talk about coronavirus a little bit, one thing that I've noticed in the feeds of the influencers that I follow is that most influencers will have a very defined niche. But I've noticed now that influencers are really broadening their niche and you're starting to see other parts of their life that otherwise you never had a glimpse of. So I'm seeing more of my, like the travel influencers that I follow, I'm seeing them at home in their own kitchens more or exploring their own neighborhood a bit more, or they're introducing their love of gardening or their love of food. And it's quite fascinating to see how people's very defined niches are now evolving because of this new reality that we're living in. Yes, we completely agree. Life has changed for everyone, and I think it's important to you know if you if we want to really be authentic and reflect what happens in our lives, then I think social media platforms that we we use need to also reflect that change because people just want to relate to regular people at the end of the day. I think a lot about the multiple channels that influencing can and is done through, and you guys have touched on this a little bit already, but there are influencers who are just present on Instagram sharing images of their travels, and then there's Instagram influencers who are primarily bloggers, and then there are also travel bloggers who focus most of their energy into just blogging, and some don't even have a social media presence. But either way, it does seem like Instagram and blogs are the main channels right now for travel influencers. Could you explain how these channels work for Hey, Dip Your Toes In? And how do you use them differently? So yes, you're right that traditionally, Instagram has been a really, really, uh, has played a significant role for the travel industry. That I don't think that's likely to, to change in the future. However, when we approach creating content either for ourselves or for brands who hire us to do that. We like to pitch ideas that 
are likely to resonate across more than the Instagram channel itself. While Instagram is very visual, we find that platforms like Twitter are really great for conversations. I think for us, it's, it's important for us to not just build content, but to also create conversations around the content. And then we find that those conversations seem to happen more organically on platforms like Twitter and Facebook. And so whenever we're pitching ideas to brands, we try to make them understand that, fine, we can create something on Instagram that looks visually appealing and, and, and pretty, um, but to really, really get under people's skin um, in a good way, of course, and create those conversations that drive the content or propel the content, you need to be thinking broader. So, you know, for example, we, 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 we may propose things like Twitter chats and say, look, here's what people are saying about this destination or this product. And we can then use that to evolve our messaging, evolve our strategy, evolve what happens on Instagram. So that's kind of how we use all the platforms um, to try and keep them in sync. And of course, there are different audience types on each of these platforms. Facebook tends to be friends and family focused. Twitter is basically a conversation, a free-for-all conversation with everyone, while the people who go to Instagram are going for the aesthetic. They're going because they like the look and feel of what you're showing them. So it's important to be able to understand the different audiences and what they're looking for. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I find that Instagram tends to be, like for me, I really, I love aesthetic images. And so it's a source of inspiration, but I don't often find myself having very valuable conversations on Instagram. And, and the format doesn't really lend itself well to that anyways. The commenting can get very out of control and it's hard to keep up a thread of a conversation with someone on Instagram, unlike Twitter, where you can really connect with random people and have very productive conversations that are both inspirational, but also have a lot of value. Yeah. I know like Alpaca My Bags itself our Twitter audience has been great. We learn a lot from our listeners there about what they want and expect out of the podcast. And it's it's a really helpful format. Yeah, we found you guys on Twitter. That's basically yeah. how we connected with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so what work goes into the Instagram feed specifically? And I'm I'm curious about how Instagram impacts your travel style. Do you end up spending a lot of time scoping out places to shoot images or or do you spend a lot of actual time shooting them? Like how much of a trip is spent on that? You know, there was a time whenever we would really do a lot more research and use Instagram as a way to find different locations. But I feel like our travel style has really evolved. And a lot of it is less about trying to find the great places to photograph. We focus a lot more on the story and if people are the center of our story, there's always going to be a great image to take, always. So a lot of it is about elevating our subject and not making ourselves the center narrative of that story. If we find places to take a great photo in, it's a plus. And sometimes we'll get in a destination and we start, um, we, we, we make sure that we get our story. That, that is like the, the primary part of it is we get the story. We're able to photograph our quote unquote stakeholders, you know, our, this, the narrative, the people that are holding, helping to hold the story together. If we get some images of ourselves in that location, that's wonderful. Sometimes we come in if it's more of a brief for a particular client. 
and that's what they're looking for. Of course, we'll definitely do a bit more background research and we'll have maybe two locations chosen that we try to get our imagery. But we like to be really flexible. I think there's a strength that comes with doing more type of documentary type of work. It doesn't have to be 100% staged. You don't have to do so much research in terms of locations. You know that you can look at any location and you can see an image. So I, I've gotten used to working quite quickly on my feet. So it's for us, it's about really making sure of the story that we're trying to take, or excuse me, the story, the story that we're trying to capture. I love this idea of um, your travel evolving, because I relate to that so much personally, especially being the host of this podcast, I've noticed that this podcast now is about two years old. And since starting it, you know, this podcast is about teaching people to be conscious and responsible travelers. But I have found that it's really educated myself. Like, I think I am learning as much as our listeners hopefully are learning. And so in this two years, I feel that there's been such an evolution in the way that I personally travel. Because all the conversations that I have really emanate and I think about them now as I travel. One change, for example, is that in the last year, I've really worked on reducing the amount of flying that I'm doing. Obviously, now I can't fly at all. So that was an easy change to make recently. So on that note, are there other ways that because of the blog and your your status as influencers, how has your travel evolved so when we started the blog in 2015, that first year was pretty much us going on trips or going to places that we found the most interesting or the most drawn to. And those those destinations were local, they were regional, and uh, they were outside. When I say regional, I mean Europe, and then outside of, of, of Europe. But the more the brand grew and the more we built relationships with uh, PR agents and, and hospitality brands uh, and expanded our network within the travel community. Of course, that led to opportunities to visit places for specific projects. So that the last, before COVID happened, I guess we were trying to balance both our personal travel interests with travel that was specific to requests from the brands that we, we work for. I think for us, we will always always long for places that both are interesting, but where we can also create some great content. Finding that happy medium is always something that we look forward to on our travels. So I've noticed since lockdown started, there's been tons of Instagram lives happening. I feel like every time I look at my phone, I have a notification for an Instagram live that is happening. And Yolanda, I want to talk about an Instagram story you posted recently, where you shared that you find Instagram lives exhausting. You explain that you find them a bit performative, which I think is interesting because I personally find the Instagram platform as a whole is quite performative, but there's a perception that Instagram live is more authentic because the person isn't curating what you're seeing or hearing. I go in and out and to be a hundred percent transparent of feeling that Instagram lives are completely exhausting. And then from the other side, completely energizing. So it's kind of two sides of the coin. On one side, 
I do find sometimes that it's performative for me because I have a certain way that I like to put myself across. But, you know, on the other side, I love that kind of in-person type of connection. Questions are coming across, comments are coming across, and you have to respond to it. And it presents its whole other kind of mixed bag of challenges. And it's, I love it. And it's exciting to me. But also the idea of like, oh, because it's a curated program, because we were doing these um, different lives. Uh, We had two live series that were going on that ended, but we had, so you want to be an ally. It didn't officially, that one didn't officially end. But um, the other one that just recently ended was school days. So it, takes a lot of energy because each episode takes about 11 hours, 11 to 13 hours, let's say of production value. And that includes the Instagram live. So yeah, it it is a lot of energy that is expended that I guess the best way I can explain it is that it sometimes does feel performative. Like I've just went and danced a whole concert. (laughs) That's interesting that she says um, she finds it energizing. I find it frightening. So, um, <laughs> Yolanda's the one who is the camera person. She's great on and off camera. She, she can, she can, she can put on a show. Um, I am the one who pretty much doesn't like to be on the spot. So whenever I have to do Instagram lives, she knows how stressed I get. Um, I'm worried about the lighting. I'm worried about what I'm going to say. I'm worried about the guests turning up on time. I'm worried about a lot of things. So I find them very frightening and draining, but um, it's great that she's always available to share her expertise. Um, so when I, when I grow up, I want to be like her on Instagram lives. Oh, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The first few that he did in the last few months. Oh boy. There was one where I had a guest, we had hyped this whole thing up and the guy didn't turn up for like 10 minutes. I was freaking out. <laughs> now, in, in that 10 minutes, Yolanda would have known what to say to keep the audience engaged. I was I was freaking out, seriously. So. <laughs> he was seriously, he was sweating. I was like, babe, it's okay, breathe. Oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, well, I can relate to that so well. That's how I feel with podcasting, to be honest. Every episode, I'm like, oh, I hope I don't say something that's wrong or that like I actually don't think. And I just overthink everything I'm going to say. And I overthink whether or not the people will actually show up. I think it's a classic case of stage fright. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love hearing about how people feel about their Instagram presence because I also feel like I oscillate and like our audience is very, very small compared to yours. So sometimes I think, wow, I sometimes get overwhelmed by all the comments that I feel that I need to respond to or the DMs or the emails. And then I just think like if we had an audience that was just a couple thousand more, how overwhelming that would be. And there are some days that I really love it because it does give you a sense of validation that people see your content as worth interacting with. But then at other times, it, it, you just feel this over, overwhelming sense that you have to respond to everything. And I imagine as your community grows bigger, it is harder and harder to do that. It is. You know, the whole thing is just, you know, continue to find your authentic voice. And don't worry so much about trying to keep up. Don't feel like, oh, I have to perform at a specific level. Perform at the level that you want to perform at. And if you want your content to be great and to have a voice of its own, give it space to have a voice. 
and create that space. And the only, the only person that can do that is yourself. That's such a good point. Okay, this question is from Katie. This is something we've talked about a couple times on the podcast. And Katie and I often joke about it amongst ourselves, because we find the hashtag travel couple on Instagram so entertaining. (laughs) And it's funny to me too, because I travel with my partner all the time. And I do have a bit of a presence on Instagram. But he's very absent from it because he personally does not want to be part of it. And that's something that we respect between ourselves. So I think someone who looks at my content could even think that I just travel solo, that he that he doesn't exist, which is terrible to say. But the idea of like our romantic relationship is not something that we want to be included in my presence online. And so I find sometimes that the travel couple hashtag, it's sort of selling this idea of romanticism. And that's, that's what it's selling more so than it's selling the idea of travel or travel inspiration, because it's kind of an unattainable inspiration of travel. Anyways, I just wanted to ask what you thought about this, because you are a traveling couple yourself. I think we both enjoy storytelling. So we don't mind both being part of the story, whether that story is on Instagram, whether it's on any of the other platforms. So for example, if we visit a destination, Yolanda might be the one who um, has the the photography eye, um, while I'm the one who spots a very interesting anecdote from an interaction we had with uh, a baker. We're both happy to get on on our different platforms and, and be visible in the stories that we tell about those destinations. We're comfortable both being in front of um, the camera. Yeah, and but we don't like to subscribe to sometimes the kind of inherent cliches that you might see on Instagram because we've done that before. And there was a time early on, uh, 2017, 2018, where it was like, well, people are doing this and so we should do this because we want to break 10K. And I think that was like 2017, we finally did. And after that, it was just quite a slow go. And... Um, one thing is that, you know, we don't want to invest all of our energy and time into things that we don't own. So Instagram, we don't own. Instagram at any point in time can change the game. And they've done that. We, we've even seen how we've been kind of, I could say, victim of this because there was some, um, there was a, another content creator that reported our account. We, we actually know who it was that said we were abusing animals. Because we had a picture of a, yeah, yeah, we we had a picture of a camel that we were walking towards and in in Tunisia. And this, I don't know why this person decided, we've never even met this person, but they apparently attended one of our sessions at a conference. And then after the conference, they decided to, to comment, make some comments on this particular photo and then reported it to Instagram because, you know, then that next day I'm going in trying to comment, make comments. And I, I didn't have access to Instagram, so on and so forth. Long story short, finally, Instagram reinstated our account, but our account was never the same. So, you know, I was just thinking, and it hasn't been, and this was back in 2018. And our reach has been completely dampened because of this one negative interaction. And we spoke to someone from Instagram and found out there's really not much you can do once your account has been flagged for that. Like Instagram pretty much represses 
your content. And I don't, I don't know why, you know, don't still understand like why there can't be anything done about this. But that in short to say, we said from then on, it's like, why invest so much energy into a platform that we don't have any control over and we don't own it? We will be better served in creating content, you know, that is not solely for Instagram. Instagram. If it goes to Instagram, great. And we know that our audience is going to be super engaged and hopefully they'll enjoy it. They'll share it. They'll like it. But, you know, we're no longer going to create photos or content for specific hashtags because, yeah, does it, for us, it just is not sustainable. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. And it, the algorithm is constantly changing. And I imagine it'd be a full-time job just to keep up with how those algorithms are changing and how to best optimize them. And I think like a lot of people are realizing now that it's not worth, as you say, the investment, because it's a fickle account. It can just dissipate, disappear at any moment if Instagram chooses. Do you think that the rise of travel influencing aligns with how travel became more and more accessible over the last decade? Yeah, I definitely think the rise of travel influencing definitely has increased the virality of sites and of experiences. You know, like now floating breakfast is a thing. Because you've seen influencers go and and they've gone to these beautiful resorts and had these floating breakfasts and people now want to go to these specific locations to have a floating breakfast just like that and eat their dragon fruit and, you know, spoon their passion fruit into their mouths. And I mean, it's it's so fascinating, honestly. I don't I don't at all look at it as necessarily in a critical way. It's actually pretty amazing how effective travel influencing can be to drive consumer purchasing. Definitely has had an impact on driving accessibility of an interest in travel. I think obviously that has had both positive and negative consequences. Yeah. I was reading something the other day about, um, I think was it Cambodia? Uh, there's, you know, obviously everyone is, uh, all these destinations are trying to recover from the COVID um, mishap. And so destinations like Cambodia are using the opportunity to reset their tourism industry where people would come to that destination just to take that one photo with that one temple. There are hundreds of other temples around and now Cambodia is trying to figure out ways to, when tourism reopens, try to redirect some of that traffic away from that one location to all the others and just make it a bit more sustainable. So there have been pros and cons like that where travel has definitely increased um, because of influencers, but not necessarily in the right way sometimes. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. I actually think that this reset in travel is going to happen in different ways because I've read recently about how some cities in Europe are expecting that tourists won't want to go to crowded Amsterdam anymore because because of the pandemic. People are avoiding crowds. And so because of that, there might be a push to send travelers or travelers might just choose to go to lesser known places or more rural locations. And this could really change the face of travel, I think, in a permanent way. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's it's interesting because people are looking at travel very differently now. There's some that, you know, they just want to get away and they're going to try to travel in the ways that they did before. And there will be certain things that are 
unfortunately will prevent that. But I'm also seeing, like you said, such a move of discourse that is going on behind how to travel differently and looking at, you know, the outdoor spaces in, in new ways. And that's really quite exciting because for those that have maybe just taken the normal like city break over a weekend are looking at ways to maybe do something a bit different, but still travel, but get outdoors and have less contact. It's, it's great that sustainability, you know, in terms of sustainably visiting a destination is being put more into the forefront. Uh, just on, on the last note there, I, I really hope, uh, we, we really hope that this travel reset period will actually help improve people's behaviors towards mm. these destinations because and actually I'm, I'm being optimistic rather than pessimistic um the last couple of weeks in the uk you know beaches and stuff have opened up and people have gone in their numbers to these beaches and have trashed those places completely and i'm thinking are we learning new behaviors that are good or are we bringing back bad behaviors as travel reopens so i'm hoping that this travel reset also resets traveler behavior in, in in general yeah yeah i totally agree and i f- i feel it's so hard to say which direction it will go i don't think there's any world in which every traveler would return to travel with that mindset of of doing better and traveling more responsibly but i like to think that in this moment more and more people are opening their eyes to this concept So I wanted to share something that I read on uh, Skift, which is a travel industry news publication. Uh, Rafat Ali, who is from this publication, said publicly that he thinks it will take up to five years for air travel to return to the levels it was at in early 2020. So it looks like, according to this prediction, it could be quite a long wait before we get to travel like we once did. And when I read that, I thought, okay, so if it takes that long to get back to flying the way that we were flying before, I think that's enough time for people to really embrace traveling in different ways. I could see more people becoming more comfortable with taking a train to travel somewhere. And then on the flip side, I can see governments, like for example, here in Canada, train travel is not accessible. It is expensive. There are not a lot of trains. And it's something that's lacking here, like distinctly lacking. We really could use better connected train routes. And that would really change the way that people travel here. And so when I think about five years, I think maybe there is an opportunity there for us to really change the way that we travel, but also for countries to change the opportunities that are available to travelers for getting around. And I wonder if you're noticing the same trend in the UK. Travel travel in the UK has always been an interesting conversation around weather and cost. <laughs> um, <laughs> Obviously, the weather here is 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 not that great year round. We have maybe barely two weeks of summer or three weeks if we can get it, and not not at once. People would prefer to go to destinations where they can actually really get a lot more for their time in terms of weather. And the same with cost as well. Tra- traveling by train in the UK is expensive as well, and hotels uh, are not 
exactly the cheapest either. So sometimes when you look at, and this was pre-COVID, when you look at a budget of say a thousand pounds on a trip and you compare that with what you get in the UK versus what you get in Portugal or Spain or Greece or some, you know, somewhere, somewhere else in Europe, the tendency has always been to, to choose to go outside of the UK. Now, because of COVID, I think, you know, staycations will become a lot more popular. So we might see that shift happening here where people want to take local holidays and want to stay local. And that might ultimately result in more opportunities to not just discover parts of the UK, but also maybe get costs down to a level that makes it a bit more affordable, affordable for people to stay within the UK. Yeah, no, that's exactly how it is in Canada as well. I think that's something that has become very obvious to me personally in this experience is that for some reason, it's much cheaper for me to fly to Europe for a week than it is to rent a car and explore my own country. So I think what I'm trying to say is like maybe if it takes five years for flights to return to the capacity that they were at, this is a moment in which we'll see that start to change, hopefully for Canada, but also for the UK. And I imagine other countries where this is a problem as well. Well, thank you so much, Yolanda and Oma, for joining us. This has been such a fun and interesting and enlightening conversation. So before we wrap up, I want to give you an opportunity to share with everyone where they can find you, where they can interact with you. Yeah, just anything you'd like to share. You know, anyone who's looking to converse with us, feel free to find us on most social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, at Dip Your Toes In. They can also check us out on our blog, and that's Hey Dip Your Toes In. So we also are on TikTok and Facebook as well. We just don't utilize either of those platforms as much, but we're, we're more active on Facebook than we are on TikTok. Yeah, we, we live we live on Twitter and we live on Instagram. That's yeah, pretty much where we live. Definitely. Obviously, travel content on the blog has been quiet over the last four months. Uh, we do have some back content that we want, a back catalog of content mm-hmm. that we, we need to produce. But um, just like we said earlier, where we're trying to reflect more about our lifestyles and about what's happening to us and in the world and in the community in which we live. We have uh, an article on the blog about being an ally, you know, on the back of the uh, recent um, attention on the Black Lives Matter movement and um, equity and and justice for communities uh, that are disadvantaged. So that's that's an an article that we feel very passionate about and uh, we definitely want um, more people to check it out. It's on the blog at heydipyotosin.com. Amazing. And Alpaca Pals, we have linked the blog post in the show notes. This is it. This is episode 20 of our second season, which means Katie and I are now taking a little podcasting break. We're going to try to enjoy the summer weather as much as possible. What are you going to do, Katie? Well, I just started taking up skateboarding. So my goal for the summer, land an ollie at least once, do some camping, and yeah, enjoy the weather. What about you? Well, mostly the same except for the skateboarding. (laughs) It's not for everyone. Well, I'm also going to be camping and I'm going to work on my garden. Uh, Made our first batch of pesto last night. So the basil is popping off right now. It's pretty great. (sighs) 
<laughs> Anyways, we're going to try to enjoy the summer before the cold weather comes back here in Canada. But while we're on break, we're also going to start planning new episodes. So I'll pack a pals. If there is a topic you want us to tackle in season three, now is the time to let us know. So you can send us a DM on Instagram or you can email us at hello at alpacamybags.ca. And just keep in touch with us while we're on break. We'll continue to post on Instagram and you might get a bonus episode at some point during the summer. If you've enjoyed this season of Alpaca My Bags, please take five minutes to show us the love. First, vote for us to win a podcast award. You can go to www.podcastawards.com to nominate us. And second, leave us a review. You can review us in the Apple Podcasts app. Your reviews make it easier for other listeners to find us, and we love to hear your feedback. We hope that all of you are keeping safe and well and healthy. And when we get back to travel in the future, remember, take that train instead of the plane. I'll talk to you all in season three.